Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, Oregon State on Saturday will be playing at home at Racer Stadium against San Diego State. Uh, we can talk uh, a lot about these games and the predictions I have for the games, but check this out. Um, the Beavers have covered the point spread in nine straight football games, dating back to last season. In their last 15, Oregon State is 13-2 and two against the spread. Steven, 13-2 and two against the spread, that's, uh, that's easy money. It really is. I mean, uh, if you've been on, and you've been on that for most of them, going back to last season, like Oregon State has been undervalued, you know, in the market for a while now. I think people are starting to catch up a little bit. This point spread is a little interesting, but even this one, I think uh, Portland State or Portland State, Oregon State uh, has a big advantage over San Diego State. Oregon State favored by twenty four and a half currently at Reeser Stadium. By the way, Reeser Stadium is a tough place to play. Uh, Oregon State is thirteen and one. Uh, straight up in their last 14 games on their home field. Uh, Jonathan Smith's team will be uh, hosting San Diego State. Uh, What's at stake for Oregon State? Well, uh, Oregon State uh, would like to go to Pullman in Week 4 to open conference play with a 4-0 record. I think, or 3-0 record. That, of course, would be uh, uh, a very important thing to be ranked, to be 3-0, to be sitting pretty in the polls and sitting pretty uh, unblemished, feeling good about yourself heading to Pullman against a, a Washington State team that should also be 3-0. and uh, I sat down with John Schaefer. He is uh, the host of Afternoon Drive show in San Diego, Sports 760. Our shows air at the same time. So I taped with him right before our show. And the question that I asked John Schaefer that I'll start with here is, I said, hey, look, we know what's at stake for Oregon State, but what's at stake for San Diego State, John Schaefer? For San Diego State, I mean, you, you got to remember, I think when they head into a year, all, all of this is gravy. I mean, all their success they've had in the non-conference in the last decade, you know, at the end of the day, in a group of five, it's very challenging, right, to put yourself in a position even to get to a New Year's Six game, even with success in the non-conference. San Diego State needs to put themselves in position to buy for a Mountain West title, and they actually open on a short week, which is pretty interesting. They'll play Boise State on a Friday night in San Diego next Friday, so six days after this game in Corvallis. So what's at stake for San Diego State is, listen, you need to make progress. That's what you want to do. But you absolutely have to stay healthy, and you need to put yourself in a position where you can beat Boise State at home. They open with Boise State and Air Force in the Mountain West. Those are the two teams picked in the preseason at one and two, respectively. You split those games, you put yourself in a position where you can get to a Mountain West championship game. But that, that's what's most critical, I think. Be healthy, be competitive, and put yourself in a position where you can win potentially next Friday night against Boise State at home. John Schaefer, Sports 760 in San Diego, is our guest. There's been a lot of talk about a reverse merger. What would Oregon State look like in the Mountain West? You know, that's happening on our end. What is happening on your end with that kind of discussion? You know, uh, we had J.D. Wicker, San Diego State's athletic director, with us on the pregame show this past weekend before the UCLA game. He was back on San Diego Sports 760 yesterday with our midday show, the Darren Smith Show, and I think he said on both, in both conversations that he values the Pac-12 brand. Um, and I think he also said with Darren Smith, our midday show yesterday, he will meet with Scott Barnes. There'll be some time with Scott Barnes this weekend of Oregon State. So I think, obviously, everyone's acutely aware of what's gone on. And I don't know if anyone knows exactly how it's all going to come to be. Is it going to be Oregon State and Washington State with the 12 teams in the Mountain West? 
under the umbrella of the Pac-12, or will it be the Mountain West? Or is there a scenario where it's just a portion of the schools from the Mountain West joining Oregon State and Washington State because the, the Pac-12 with those two schools somehow is able to expand and maybe add schools from the Mountain West and or the American and or other leagues. But I think everything's a possibility. I personally, and I'm just probably speaking out of turn, I find it hard to imagine that Oregon State and Washington State aren't playing games with San Diego State in the very near future. I want to say the Aztecs have Washington State on the non-conference schedule next year in San Diego. They have Oregon State this upcoming weekend. But I'd personally be very surprised if San Diego State, Oregon State, and Washington State weren't, quote-unquote, dance partners moving forward to some extent here in the 2020s. Give me an idea if, you know, uh, you know, step out of your shoes as a media member. I know it's hard for me to do that as well, <laughs> but, you know, how much enthusiasm for the Pac-12 brand does the average San Diego State fan have now? Is it Does it still hold some appeal to the fan base? I think it does. It's obviously changed. I mean, San Diego is, you know, an amazing market for, for West Coast football, and that's, I think, what made it all the more um, unfortunate, right? I mean, San Diego is, you know, one of the largest cities in the country. It's the second largest city in the state of California. People forget it's larger than San Francisco. It's not the quote unquote media market. And I think sometimes you get a little caught up with it. I mean, if, if Tijuana and San Diego is the same city, this is like the third biggest media market or fourth biggest media market in the country. And then they don't get credit San Diego for Orange County, but Los Angeles County does. And both counties touch Orange County. So, you know, this is this has obviously been a, a very good Pac-12 market with alumni from SC and UCLA, Stanford and Cal littered throughout San Diego County. So I think that there's still appeal. I really do believe that. I know J.D. Wicker feels that way. It's different, obviously. I mean, everything's going to be different moving forward. And who knows how long it'll be like this before it changes again in a handful of years. But I do think there's value. And I still think there's a path where you put the right programs together and there's a level of success they can enjoy in the next iteration of college football and the expanded playoff. John Schaefer with us, uh, 760 in San Diego. All right, finally on uh, the game taking place at Research Stadium, things didn't go well against UCLA. First of all, can I ask you what you thought of UCLA, Dante Moore? How did they look to you? I thought they looked really good. I mean, we saw them in 2019 in the Rose Bowl, and they looked nothing like that. I mean, they have a clear identity. They're big running backs. Their physicality, their edge rushers were really impressive. Dante Moore looks just under control. He was very comfortable. He made very few mistakes. The one mistake he made, the Aztecs couldn't capitalize on. He, they recovered a fumble at the one-yard line and couldn't score. But um, he looked very good. He only ended up playing three quarters in the game because they didn't need more out of him. So I think UCLA is vastly improved, but then again, the entire league is vastly improved, so we'll see what that means on the football field. All right, finally, San Diego State, uh, you know, what do they need to go right at Research Stadium to be in this game with Oregon State? Yeah, I, you know, I think if they can force a turnover or two, which is tough to do against Oregon State, they've been so good in that in that area, but I think if they could be plus one or better, they'll, they'll have a chance to potentially be in the game. And again, I, I thought they had chances to be in the game against UCLA last week, and I think they were disappointed with the way that they played. Obviously a tough task. A lot of people tell you this is harder this week in Corvallis than it was at home last week against UCLA. So uh, there's a reason the point spread is where it is. Um, San Diego State's a really prideful program, um, and they're going to go into the game expecting to, to win the game, not just be competitive. So that they need to be plus one or better. And defensively, they can't allow big plays. They allowed some big plays against UCLA. I don't think they can allow those big plays this weekend. Can they stop the run? Traditionally, as good as any team in the country, as good as any team in the country. They didn't have success against it last week against UCLA. They replaced all three. Remember, they played 3-3-5, kind of famous for yeah. it. 
um, for the better part of the last 20 years. And they graduated all three on that front last year. Some terrific players. Uh, Jonah Tavai, his brother Justice Tavai, Keyshawn Banks. So they're replacing all those players. They're still getting accustomed, I think. They'll be very good by the second half of the year. Brady Hoke has forever been one of the best defensive line coaches in America. And, of course, he's the head coach of the Aztecs. So Aztecs have a good defensive line. It's just not as veteran as it was a year ago. John, I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy with your own show. Any questions for me on the Oregon State front? Anything you want to know as you prep for your show? Uh, you know, it's funny. No, I, I would just say this. I mean, they look. I mean, they look the part, right? Not just offense. I think there's a lot of talk about the offense, but it looks like the defense has been pretty elite the first couple of weeks. Um, they played a Mountain West foe in San Jose State, which has been a good program the last three or four years. So, I mean, there's there's reason for concern. I think Oregon State is every bit um, every bit what people expect them to be. I guess the one thing people talk about is San Diego is, uh, you know, are they looking past the Aztecs with Washington State on the schedule now? Fair. Yeah. But I, I don't know if you're – it's so early in the season. It's just your second game at Racer Stadium this year. San Diego State is not an FCS program. Jonathan Smith is well aware yes. of the Aztecs' success. So I'd be surprised if there was any, quote-unquote, overlooking going now, on Now, right are now. you coming to the game? Will I see you at the stadium? You will not. I will be doing uh, pregame from San Diego okay. uh, here in our San Diego All right, Diego I'll catch – ke- Say I'll, hi to Ted, Ted Leitner and Rich Ormberger. I will do that. All right, John, appreciate your time. Thanks, man. I know you have a show to do. Thanks, John. John Schaefer, San Diego Sports 760. Really good stuff there. What's your prediction for Oregon State, San Diego State? How do you see this one unfolding? I want you to tell me. You can weigh in right now uh, at 503-417-7575. And what's your prediction on Oregon and Hawaii? Oregon Ducks playing Hawaii at Autzen Stadium. Do you have a call there as well? You got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Really good talk with John Schaefer, 760 Sports in San Diego in the last segment. Big Pac-12 weekend coming up. Uh, I'll give my thoughts, picks, predictions on the games as I see them today. Uh, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, we'll also play Punch It Audio. Uh, in the last segment, Stephen, we, we talked with John Schaefer about the San Diego State-Oregon State game. I want to talk a little bit about the Oregon game, and I'll give you our big splash here. But uh, real quick, I, I think Oregon State will run the ball or at least attempt to run the ball down San Diego State's throat uh, on Saturday. I think that's what UCLA had success doing. Of course, Dante Moore had 290 yards, but UCLA ran the ball on San Diego State. I think Oregon State sees that on film. What do you think the key to the game is? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's uh, you. You look at this game, and it reminds me a lot of the San Jose State game. How I feel like Oregon State's game plan is going to be right, like DJ Uyunglele. When it's there, take your shots. But if it's not, we're just going to give it to Damian Martinez and let the running game go. You know, I think defensively, Oregon State, they've been so good this season, John. And it was one of the questions I had coming into the year is how does that defense replace all those players in the secondary? And Jonathan Smith was on the show yesterday. He was talking about how good they are and how it almost seems like you know they they may be as good as last season. You know, it's early, it's an early talking point, but they are a really good defense. I don't know how San Diego State goes up and down the field on this Oregon State team. Jaden Maiden, the quarterback on San Diego State, threw three picks last week against UCLA. Oregon State has a better defense than UCLA, and that was at San Diego State. I can't imagine that offense, especially with Maiden, that quarterback, is going to go up and down the field at Razor Stadium. So I think that defense is really just going to shut down San Diego State and make it easy for DJU and Danny Martinez in that offense. I think the Oregon game... You know, I don't see either of the Oregon teams losing this week, and I think there are some games like this. A lot of the teams scheduled this way, put a, put their tougher game in Week 2, put an easier game in Week 3. But Oregon's game against Hawaii, Hawaii scored some points this year. 
scored some points against Vanderbilt, scored, scored some points against Stanford. This is a great opportunity for Oregon's defense in the Hawaii game to pitch a, I don't, you know, to pitch a shutout or to pitch a single score game and get some confidence going into the Week Four matchup with Colorado. But I, I kind of think both Oregon and Oregon State are looking a little bit ahead. Oregon State's got a game against Washington State in Pullman in Week Four that is huge. Oregon's got a game at home against Colorado in Week Four that is huge. And Colorado cannot afford to look ahead the way Oregon can because Colorado's got to deal with Colorado State, an in-state rival, and you don't want to treat them like they're a Big Sky Conference opponent or uh, a lower-tier opponent. I, but I, I just don't see Hawaii going to Autzen Stadium and having any kind of sustained uh, success. Yeah, I don't either. But uh, you, know, you look at that number; it's a big number. 38 in the in the Vegas market. I think Hawaii actually covers that number plus the 38. Uh, I found this interesting, John. I, I looked this up because Hawaii, they've played three games already this season. They played Vanderbilt and Stanford, and you know those are two Power 5 teams. I know that they are probably towards the bottom of right. Power 5 caliber, but in those two games, Vanderbilt and Stanford only averaged four yards a carry in those games combined mm. on 54 carries. What is the Ducks' weakness on offense? Is that run game? I think Dan Landing and that offense is going to try to get the running game going, but that kind of goes against what Hawaii does good on defense, and that's you know to stop the run. So I do think, we know though the because Vanderbilt run game, Stanford run game. I mean, I'm not going. That's an equivalent to Oregon. Like if they played somebody who can really run the ball, it, it's not. But I would say it's a more of a more of a comparable point than Portland State against Oregon. Right, and that's when Oregon ran the ball really well against Texas Tech. Oregon did not run the ball very well, so I, I don't know about that offensive line who had to replace a lot of players. And you know, I know Bucky Nervine's really good, but Bo Nix, you talked about this, John. Nix had to run the ball a lot against Texas Tech, yeah, so I didn't like it. I and, didn't like him running the ball. And I don't, I don't think this is a game where Bo Nix is going to run the football. They don't want him to get hurt. They want him to stay healthy, just like against Portland State. No carries against the Vikings. I don't see many carries against Hawaii. I'm not saying Hawaii stays in this game, John. I think they lose by 35, 30 points, but they keep within the number because I'm not sold yet on that Oregon rushing attack. I, I think that they it's something that they need to improve. And, you know, for what it is, Hawaii has faced two Power 5 teams. In the Texas Tech game, Bo Nix threw for 359 yards and two touchdowns, 44 pass attempts. I like that. That was solid. That was really good. That No interceptions, pretty efficient, 32 of 44, 359, two touchdowns, great day. For Bo Nix, did everything you could have asked for him. I look at the run game. Leading rusher for Oregon, Bo Nix. Nine carries for 46 yards. It's too many carries. And and too much reliance upon Bo Nix. Bucky Irving had 11 carries for 38 yards. Bo Nix had nine for 46, including a 16-yard scamper that was a nice little run from Bo. I would love to see Bo Nix run two or three times maximum per game. And I'm not talking about when he's sacked or he tries to get back to the line of scrimmage. I'm talking about when he's rolling out, there's nothing there, he sees some open field in front of him, tucks the ball, runs 15, 8 yards down, 7 yards, 5 yards down the field, and gets out of bounds or slides. And, you know, that's where I want Bo Nix right now if I'm Oregon. I don't want 9 carries for 46 yards and, oh, he's your leading rusher. Oregon had 113 team yards rushing. So between Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington and Jordan James, you know, they they matched Bo Nix, I guess. But yet those three backs have got to do better. And Oregon has to, uh, you know, the Oregon's offensive line, may may it, the challenge may be there, but Oregon has to commit to trying to run the ball as well. I just thought 
They got a little pass happy against Texas Tech and got away from who they are. I like the shot down the field in the first drive. I like the shot down the field in the second drive. They connected on it. Uh, I like the way that they're spreading the ball around to a bunch of receivers. Bucky Irving's getting the ball out of the backfield. Noah Whittington and Bucky Irving had 13 combined catches out of the backfield for 110 yards. That's really good. I like that. Tells me that you know there that there's some stuff there, but I don't want Bo Nix running nine times. If you see nine carries this week against Hawaii, something's gone wrong. If you see nine carries against Colorado, something's gone wrong. And I think something went wrong for Oregon in the second and third quarter against Texas Tech. They just they didn't look like Oregon, and there was no creativity on the offensive side of the ball. And it's, it seems to me that this game against Hawaii is going to be a game where Will Stein looks at that and says, we need to get this running game right. We're going to really attack them on the ground. And, again, I, I, it's going to work. Oregon's going to win by a lot of points. I just, you know, when you look at the spread, I think that they may slow down the game a little bit. And then Hawaii, Hawaii could put up some numbers as well. They can throw the football around. They're going to get a couple. They're going to get a touchdown or two. So can Oregon get into the 50s to cover that game? I don't know that they can. Uh, But it is something to watch, I think, going forward, John, is what does that running game do? Has the offensive line click week after week? Because they did lose a lot on that offensive line. I think we just assumed, because we've seen it all, you know, year after year, this Ducks offense be able to run the football. It just hasn't been there. Uh, last week against Texas Tech and the one big opponent they've played. So going forward, something they're going to have to uh, correct, and I think they're going to try to get that going on Saturday against Hawaii. This week three is interesting because you look around and people are going to tell you, hey, this there's a bunch of not very interesting games in the Pac-12 this week. And I disagree with that. I think there's some really fascinating games, but but maybe not because of the matchup. Like Weber State's at Utah, and I'm really curious to see, like, you know, Kyle Whittingham has said Nate Johnson will start if Cam Rising is not available. But I'm really interested to see, like, will Cam Rising be available? And if he is available, does he just play a series or two and try to use it as an exhibition? Because they don't need Cam Rising to beat Weber State and be 3-0. and So keep an eye on that in the Utah game. We'll get to the picks later. But uh, I think, like, Idaho-Cal is interesting because Idaho is a really good FCS team. They're number 10 in the FCS polls. They beat Nevada last week. They destroyed them 33-6. to they're pretty good. And Cal, you know, come on. Cal, it looks like it's kind of just treading water right now. And so I think that's a really – could be a dicey game for a Pac-12 team, but I still think Cal wins. And then UCLA is interesting, and I don't even want to focus on North Carolina Central. That's their opponent. UCLA is interesting because Chip Kelly told the Los Angeles Times that he still feels like he has three quarterbacks. Okay? You guys know Chip Kelly. You watched him at Oregon. He's got Dante Moore, he's got Colin Schley, he's got Ethan Garbers. And, you know, he says, I've got three quality quarterbacks, I see them every day in practice, and, he, you know, he's is he posturing publicly? Just trying to give everybody a vote of confidence, keep kids from jumping in the transfer portal or maybe psychologically checking out? Or what is he doing there? Because Dante Moore, they, they had 29 passes thrown last week. Dante Moore threw 27 of them. He's the freshman. So it feels like he's the guy, but Chip Kelly won't say it. What's he doing, Steven? Yeah, I think he's just trying to uh, posture and keep these guys at, in UCLA as long as possible because, you know, it is Dante Moore's team. He's the future, and I think he's proven he's the present. I mean, we saw in the first game against Coastal Carolina, UCLA wasn't doing anything, and they brought in Dante Moore for a spark, and he was providing that spark for them. I think it's his job. I just think Chip Kelly's trying to keep confidence in these guys because he knows that you need more than one quarterback. 
you know, especially as a freshman, he may, you know, try to make an extra run and may get hurt for a little bit. And you need to have a guy like uh, Garbers off the bench that's ready to go. So I think he's just trying to give confidence to everybody on the team. But I think we all know that it's Dante Moore's team right now uh, going going forward. I also think there's a possibility that Chip Kelly wants the entire team to know that Dante Moore won the job, that he didn't hand it to him. And it may be, like, there's been a lot of talk about Dante Moore's recruitment. Oregon was on him, likely to get him. He had committed to Oregon. Kenny Dillingham goes to Arizona State. All of a sudden, Moore reopens his his, uh, recruitment. Bo Nix says he's coming back. Dante Moore flips to UCLA. Like, some people have gone, well, it was Kenny Dillingham that, that, you know, he wasn't at Oregon anymore, and so Dante Moore picked UCLA. Others have said, no, 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 it was Bo Nix who, when he said he was coming back to Oregon, Dante Moore wants to play right away, and he said, no way. Did Chip Kelly promise a true freshman that he was going to play? Like, I have to wonder, like, you know, but I think Chip, I think you're probably right. I think Chip just wants all three guys mentally, psychologically engaged. I've talked about it on the show. The coaches are coming on the show now, and I'm asking them about their quarterback room, and they're talking about everybody. And, you know, they want to talk about Jonathan Smith wants to tell us about Aiden Childs. And he wants to tell us about Ben Gulbrinson. And he wants to tell us about DJ. And, you know, they, they're very careful in spring, especially when guys can still get in the portal. They're very careful when I ask about a position group, not just Jonathan, but Dan Lanning, you know, everybody. Uh, Kyle uh, Whittingham at Utah, Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State. They're all the same. They are all trying to, like, they're like a small community paper trying to get everybody's name in the paper, you know, make everybody's parents happy. So they're, they're, they just kind of give a nod to everybody because they don't want to pick somebody and they don't want to alienate players because the players now can jump in the portal and adios. So uh, that, of course, brings us to our big splash. It does also have to do with the quarterback position. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, is it possible that Aaron Rodgers can help the New York Jets by not being on the field? And what I mean by that is he has mentored Zach Wilson, the now starting quarterback of the New York Jets. And Zach Wilson is telling reporters that he is absolutely a better player because of what he's learned from Aaron Rodgers. Said he's copied every little thing he's done, said he's helped his footwork, said he got coaching tips, said he's done an amazing job, more than we could ask for as quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers tore his left Achilles tendon on the fourth play of Monday Night Football against the Buffalo Bills. He has announced on social media that he is coming back, but the Jets will belong to Zach Wilson this season. Let's see how much better he got learning from Aaron Rodgers. Did he do a darkness retreat? I don't know. In the 4 o'clock hour, we'll talk about Punch and Audio. And Stephen and I are going to We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.